Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everybody. It is Sunday afternoon, and uh, how can I hear anything? We can hear you. Can you hear me? (sighs) No, I don't think he can hear. Yeah, I can hear you, David, but I don't think Evan can hear either of us. Yeah. Yeah, probably connection issues. <clears throat> yeah. Again, but it happens. So it's Sunday afternoon. This is Gaming Sessions Podcast. I am the host, David, joined by my co host, Gerald. Uh, Evan yeah. will be back shortly, I assume. Um, so, yeah, anything interesting happened this week? Um, I just had my welding class this week. So, went hello. to the. Uh, hello. Can you hear us now, Evan? The hell? No, apparently he still can't. I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) Let him know that we're able to hear him, but we don't seem to be, but he doesn't seem to be able to hear us. So check and make sure that he doesn't have us muted or something. Mm, Hang on. But, uh, yeah. Welding class. Cool cool um it's unfortunately been hot as fuck here uh yeah it was it's just been hot um we've been having 80 to 100 degree temperatures and then friday it was freaking um humid so we it was like 85 degrees and then it felt like it was like a it felt like 102 and I'm welding, so I couldn't even the I couldn't even stay in the welding booth for very long because it was so freaking hot. And then I'm next to a hot metal plate that I'm welding beads and lines onto and joints, and, and it's just I'd be in the booth for like five minutes and start sweating and like yeah, I got to get out of here. Or I'm gonna fall out from heat stroke. <laughs> hmm. Well, you definitely don't want that. But uh, aside from that, um, oh, something interesting did happen. Peace Talks, the new Jim Butcher uh, Dresden Files book, did release on the 14th, and I was able to pick it up yesterday. Was it yesterday? No, I picked it up Friday. I was able to pick it up Friday. I have not started reading it yet Mm. um, because I did not want it to – because I'm working on a short story that I'm trying to finish, and I didn't want anything in the book to color or make its way from uh, the book over into <laughs> my work. I wanted to finish that first, then I'm going to go all in. Um, I would have had the book sooner, but the uh, but when I was checking the online website, uh, Barnes & Nobles was saying, oh, we don't have it in stock. So I just stopped by Friday on the way and they had a whole freaking shelf of them sitting behind the counter and i'm like son of a bitch i could have had this two days ago <laughs> and i even right. i was yeah i was even talking to the clerk and i was like yeah i checked the website and the website said you guys didn't have any in stock did you just get these in today and she was like no we've had them for days i i don't know why the website said that and i was and i'm just in my mind i'm like god damn it <laughs> right but <laughs> so can you hear us now evan Okay, that was the problem. Oh, 
what was the problem? I forgot that there was an HDMI cable connected to my um, computer, so all the audio was going through that instead of into my headphones. Ah. So anything uh, interesting happened to you this week? Um, well, there was a strange side effect of my watching all those DC animated movies that I did not see coming. And I should, oh, what? And I should be getting the results of that side effect today, along with my copy of Ghost of Tsushima, which I'm still anxiously waiting for. Uh, it gave me a very strong need... And this is also partially due to me getting the Aquaman by Jeff Johns omnibus. And when watching and getting a couple of Wonder Woman omnibuses, I felt a very strong need to re-watch the DCEU movies. Even mm. the bad ones. <laughs> and to be clear, when I say even the bad ones, I, I don't just mean like I mean the ones, even the ones that are so bad, even I don't like them. I have not gone back to them on purpose. I never bothered getting them on home video before. <laughs> like Batman mm. v Superman. Yeah. Mm. It's like, I'm one of those people who actually like Span of Steel, because for all its issues, I don't feel like that's an invalid interpretation of Superman. Most of his problems could have been solved with a good follow-up. But, uh... Batman v Superman is just a fucking drag. <laughs> uh, Suicide Squad is one of the most incompetent pieces of storytelling in all of cinema, in my opinion. And Justice League is one of the best superhero movies ever to come out of the 90s. Yeah, the original 90s one, yeah. No, I can no, agree no, with no. that. No, I'm saying, like, the damn thing feels like a 90s movie to me. Like, it's what I would expect that they made a Justice League movie in, like, 1997. Slightly better CG. Slightly. Hmm. And let's be honest, it's a Frankenstein's monster of a mess. I'm one of those people who's curious about the Snyder Cut, simply because I think... At this point, that movie can't be hurt by seeing a singular vision, even if it's not necessarily a vision I would agree with. Aside from that, the whole week has just been me anxiously waiting to get my copy of Ghost of Tsushima, which I've already come to the conclusion that there's only two ways to play that game. Kurosawa mode or the wrong way. Hmm. Not much to do during a pandemic. (laughs) So quiet. I just keep getting quiet. It freaks me out. Oh, sorry. I we weren't sure. I wasn't sure if you were done or not. (laughs) If there's a long pause, I'm probably done. (laughs) All right. So let's uh, get into. Our review for this week, Um, Gerald was very excited when I brought it up. Evan turns out not so much excited about it. I was excited to watch it until I started watching it, and then it just got progressively (laughs) worse with every move, with every minute. I'm just curious, Uh, Gerald. I I feel like we have a lot of like, even when we differ, we still have like similar uh, philosophies and mentality about things. 
is this one of those things where you're like, it's a bad movie, but it's a bad movie I enjoy? Or do you you're, are you more on the lines of, I think it's a genuinely good movie and I don't why I don't know why people don't like it, don't like it? Oh, no, I absolutely, uh, it's absolutely a movie. I won't, I'm not going to say that it, it, I feel like it is a bad movie that I enjoy. Um, but I absolutely understand the criticisms that people throw at it. And I can agree with quite a lot of them, actually. But it's still a movie I just enjoy and have a good time watching. Okay. So I, I understand people's uh-huh. criticisms. And I have criticisms of my own of the movie, uh, especially rewatching it today. Um, but I just, I just still enjoy it. I, I love the themes that it plays with and the ideas. And actually, oh, I was watching it. <laughs> I know. I, well, that's and that's where everyone's issues I, are. I, I have a name um, for this movie, and it's, I'm going to be really curious to see what everyone thinks about it when, the point, when we get to that point in the conversation. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what everyone has an issue with the the themes, and that's why, like, I was watching it today, and I was like, you know what, this needed to be. It didn't need to be a movie. It needed to be a television series. Oh, because no, then, it did not, especially the year it came out. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. It, it, it would have been better as a TV series because then the writers could have had the time to Writer delve into the one. They were oh, wait, talk about it. we had a writer's room. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So the writers would have had the time to flesh out the themes that they were trying to do in the movie and actually give them the time to to do them to do them well. Because one of my criticisms about the movie is that the movie feels very much like it's a lot of, well, here's an idea, and now we're going to stop exploring that idea so that we can go to the next idea. And it's like, well, no, because this idea isn't given the time and the the fleshing out that it needs for you to really understand what's being said here. But I honestly that's the, don't think the writer had much more to say about the, the idea that was in the movie. I agree with you. There's more to explore. I just don't trust this writer to do it. And I hear what you're saying. I don't know much about the, the, the writer. Oh, I do. And that's why I was even, I was even telling David, um, <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay, I see what's supposed to happen there. What uh, happened? Yep. Oh, nothing. I just got disconnected. <clears throat> yeah, and there's Evan. Welcome back. Yeah, uh, I think you were in the middle of saying something, then your uh, your name on the thing went to connecting, then I got the disconnection issue. Yeah. Or, or disconnection error, so... Uh, Continue from where we left off. I do believe uh, I do believe Evan was saying that he would no, be... No, actually, uh, uh, Gerald was saying something. Yeah, I was saying something, but let's do it like... Uh, let's do it this way. We'll go ahead and we'll... Uh, if we're going to talk about Interstate 60 first, then let's go ahead and let Evan give his thoughts on it, and then we'll critique why we like it. Because Evan, I feel like, is going to have the more objective view of it because I'm going off of, I like these concepts and what they're trying to explore. And I like certain things that they say in the movie, but that might be coloring how I view the movie. 
Mm. Plus bad news, good news. So let's get the bad right. news out of the way, and then we can talk about what we like, what I liked about it. All right, Evan, go ahead and shit on it. This was white privilege. The movie. <laughs> <laughs> I am oh. not kidding. This is a movie that feels like it was written by a. Uh, it feels like a movie by a guy who wanted to give all of his life wisdom and all of the wisdom of his experience, despite the fact that he's never actually known any serious hardship in his entire life. And since I actually am familiar with the writer director, I'm pretty sure that's true. Uh, am I the only person here who knows who Bob Gale is? He, yes. Uh, I know him uh, because he directed Back to the Future. No, he did not Robert direct Zemeckis. Back to the Future. That was no, Robert he was, Yeah, well, he was, he was on the credits for Back to the Future. That's where I know him from. Yes, because he wrote it. He came hmm. up with the basic story, he wrote the script, and that is literally his one claim to fame. Like, go hmm. on to IMDb, and you'll see that all of his credits are just back the Back to the Future movies and various spinoffs in multiple mediums, uh, basically, of the Back to the Future movies. Hmm. He's basically just spent his entire life riding on the royalties of Back to the Future, because that is... The, being involved in that movie is basically an excuse to have the government print money for you. Let's be honest. If you were attached creatively to Back to the Future, you never had to work again for the rest of your life. Hmm. <laughs> well, it was a good series. Well, I mean, they're still like, they're always re-releasing the, like, they re-release the movies every five to ten years. Uh, there's always like a cartoon, a video game. There's a comic book series. Like you have no idea how big a juggernaut from a merchandising standpoint alone that movie is. And it's one of those things that's always been in the cultural zeitgeist. I mean, can any of us since 1985 think of a single time in our lives where Back to the Future wasn't being talked about? No. <laughs> exactly. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not even being talked about as a regret or anything and it's like the one good idea he's ever had uh i've seen i have come across his writing in a couple of other places and yeah he, he's very much like robert kelly the guy who did um donnie darko he had one good idea and he executed it well once and that's it <laughs> he's been writing on the back of that ever <laughs> since and this is no exception. This is a guy who wants to tell you all the problems and what's wrong with America without actually having taken a really good hard look at any real problems or what's wrong with America. And clearly has some very, very negative views about many of the people who are just trying to get by in it. And I'm just going to assume there's one criticism I have I think all of us agree with. If the Pink Ranger jumps into our car saying she's on a mission <laughs> to find the best fuck ever, we're all going to happily volunteer, right? I volunteer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, see, that's the thing, though, and I think that's one of the reasons why I like I, I enjoy watching this movie is because it's two characters. Well, it's one character who loves fucking with people. He is a monkey's paw wish machine. And then the other character starts to see the fun in doing that as well. Like, I'm with you on, on banging the Pink Ranger, but at the <laughs> same time, it can be just as fulfilling to mind fuck her as physically well, fuck her. Here's the thing that got me about that. I mean, one, I have a lot of trouble believing she'd be mind fucked. Like, no one, like, 
I don't care. I mean, granted, once again, it's the Pink Ranger. I have no doubt that even a gay man would like drop trowel for her. But that said, though, I have trouble believing that she's going across the country, which I thought a movie about her would have been far more interesting. Because I think, well, no, I mean, just in, it's not because <laughs> it's because anybody who dedicates their whole life to one thing is instantly fascinating to me. I mean, let's be honest. That's a big part of why we're fascinated by Batman. Because no matter what version of Batman you have, ultimately the defining trait of that character is he's dedicated his whole life to this one mission. Everything he does and he, he, you know, is involved in this one mission. The reason why the best theatrically released Batman movie of all time, it, yeah, I'm going to say it objectively that it is, is Batman Mask of the Phantasm. It's all about Bruce, a young Bruce Wayne having to deal with the possibility that maybe he doesn't have to take that path. And even that's fascinating. And this girl, basically, she dedicated her entire life to the fact that she just wanted to have, essentially, to, to put it bluntly, she wanted the perfect fuck. And she was on a journey to find that. Yeah. And, and I have a lot of trouble believing that she would respond that way to being rejected because I don't think you go on that journey without someone rejecting you. <laughs> Mm, that's not necessarily true. Like, we all just sat here and explained how we would all have been more than happy to be part of her experiment. Yeah, but also, but here's the thing, though. <laughs> you don't go, not everybody. Oh, wait till Gerald goes back, then I'll continue right where I left off. <laughs> okay, so this is me holding two different phones, wondering. There we go. Yeah, I think uh, my theory is anchor doesn't know, the anchor doesn't handle things well during high traffic times. It's the middle of the afternoon on a Sunday, mm. and that might be the reason why you have a ten we have a tendency for dropouts. But like I was well, saying, oh. oh no, yeah. I was just saying we actually pointed that out in a previous podcast that it seems like their bandwidth gets used up a lot, and they need to work on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but continue, Evan. Yeah, so like I was saying, yeah, that's just the three of us, though, and that is everything that is wrong. Like, this is a very badly written movie, and you summed up why what's wrong with it right there. First of all, if you're going to do a movie about, like, uh, oh, what's the phrase they always use for describe Like, the human condition, uh, especially right. one that revolves around social commentary. Country, goes cross-country. Guess what? You are no longer allowed to limit things to your sole point of view. You have sacrificed the ability to do that as a writer. Because if you are not looking beyond your own point of view, then you are not really commenting on the human condition. You're just justifying your own viewpoint. And everybody and every character you create is a straw man. And this and even like the ones that are on the main character's side is a straw man. I mean, I'm not sure if you've noticed this. Has anyone other than me seen the movie Falling Down? Uh, uh, I have it's not. On, it's on my list now just because that's the one with uh, Michael Douglas, right? Yes. Excellent movie. Probably the best movie Joel Schumacher ever made. And before someone brings up Batman and Robin, trust me, that guy has done a lot more than Batman and Robin, and even Batman and Robin wasn't his fault. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> that was a studio just like betting him over and and fucking him constantly while while ever with each thrust shouting out toyetic 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 <laughs> but yeah. anyway no trust me if you learned the behind the scenes story of that thing that's not too far off from the truth uh but uh, basically uh, chris uh, cooper's point of, care- point of mm-hmm. clarification what the fuck is toyetic 
That's exactly what he said. <laughs> <laughs> I am not kidding. Like when he was when he was brought on to take to do Batman and Robin, uh, the like literally the heads of Warner Brothers, the guys who produce movies, literally went to them and said, "We want you to do what you did with the with Batman and Batman Forever, except make it more toyetic." And he said he had never heard that movie before. And basically, that is a term that at least Warner Brothers, I don't know if any other studios used it to describe a movie that is essentially just made to be a toy commercial. Ah. Uh. Oh, yeah. that's the 90s for you. <laughs> uh, that is not the 90s, actually. That's Believe it or not, that's more the 80s and the 90s, but that is, they still do that to this day. Mm. Anytime, Indeed, you, but... anytime you see a movie and you see the same characters changing outfits three or four times, that means that chances are there was a mandate to make sure you had as many, mm. to make as many models for their friggin' action figures as possible. But anyway... Right. So. But the reason I bring up Falling Down is because Chris Cooper's character is basically the main character from Falling Down. If it was handled by someone who didn't understand that that's the bad guy. Hmm. And this is coming from someone who actually really liked that character. <laughs> like, I, well, I mean, one, I can say across the board, the performances here were great. Like, honestly, the cheesiest performance was Amy Jo Johnson, and I think she was given direction to be as cheesy as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for those who yeah. don't know, that's the original Pink Ranger, and we will all always have a crush on her because go, go, Power Rangers. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> she, like, she I was watching it, and I was like, listen here, Pink Ranger. <laughs> I will do things to you. You will enjoy <laughs> them and thank me later, but I'll do things to you. <laughs> Cut it it out. might not be legal. <laughs> yeah. But that I mean, but that's like I said, she really was my favorite character in the movie. I, I was like, and there was a cartoonishness that was purposely put in there. Uh, what bothered me mainly, though, was I wish all the cartoonishness was just reserved for the people on Interstate sixty because they're cartoonish before that. Like even the father is cartoonishly the father, and honestly, I was kind of on the father's side in this movie. <laughs> oh, he's not. Re- that's that's one of my criticisms as well because he's not wrong. But it, well, continue because yeah, well, yeah. Well, I think the father is a classic example of an asshole, but he's an asshole who an overbearing one at that. But he's an overbearing asshole who's right. That's and, the worst kind of overbearing asshole. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like basically put to me, and that's part of the reason I call this white privilege the movie because. This that showed from the get-go that this dude had a safety net his whole life. He never had any real serious problems. And it leaves me wondering, why is the cosmos going out of their way for this guy? He's pretty much taken care of. It's not like him deciding to be an artist instead of a lawyer, instead of a lawyer, is going to change the world. <laughs> and, and especially considering apparently he's just going to do a series where he just draws like friggin' places for his career, which oy vey, that that's mm, there's so many reasons that doesn't work from an art perspective. Spoiler alert. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> this thing's been out since 2002 and nobody's watching it. Who cares? You can watch it for free on Amazon Prime. <laughs> but going back by going back to that, it's like one, here's the thing about the Gary Oldman character, right? I uh, forget mm. what the character's name is. W Grant. 
Yeah, and um, he's your classic mythological trickster character handled by someone who does not understand trickster characters or what their purpose is. <laughs> and hmm. kind of, <laughs> yeah. And it makes sense to for him to just be like, I honestly thought the best part of this movie was the opening with Michael J. Fox, because that hmm. is a perfect example of a trickster character doing trickster character things. Yeah. <laughs> They are a wonderful. They are a wonderful like. Um, they are a character of chaos. That's what they're all about, and they just love playing those games and seeing where the cards lay. They're your Loki's. They're your, you know, they're your. Um, my on- favorite is Anansi. Yeah, Anansi, it's like the Spider God. Yeah. Yes, that's my personal favorite when it comes to those. Not to be confused for Brer Rabbit, <laughs> but um. What I, but the thing is, though, that they're saying that ultimately he is a benevolent force, which is not what a trickster god is. A trickster god is like, basically, they are chaotic neutral defined. Hmm. And the idea that they would be manipulating these things also, and the idea that they would be manipulating all these things for this one person is just flat out fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Welcome back, Gerald. Here is having a freaking heart attack. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice you were gone. What happened? Oh, so I guess I'm I... looking at my screen while I talk. Oh, no, you're fine. I got like one word out of every three sentences and then got disconnected. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think it's done that to me once or twice. Yeah, I think we're in for oh. a bad anchor day. <laughs> yeah. May... Speaking of, this podcast is brought to you by Anchor. <laughs> Hopefully you have better experiences with it than we do. Sign <laughs> yeah. up Frank or make a podcast today. Hopefully it doesn't cut out on you. You say you say that almost the same way John Stewart talks about AT&T on his show. <laughs> right. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, was... if this is going to be our Sunday experiences, we may not want to move it to Sundays, unfortunately. Well, don't we have this? Well, yeah. yeah, actually, no, this is worse than it usually is on Saturday. Too many. The problem is people stay home on Sundays. Yeah. Tell them to go out and get the Rona. We we need a. Uh, uh, let's not. I want to go back we... to work. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's not I'm, do that. I'm just messing. I'm just messing. Yeah, I think right now we should. Uh, if we're in the middle of it, then it's too soon. <laughs> that, that's where I'm going to go with that one. We have too many idiots uh. out there as it is. So yeah, uh, Gerald. Uh, what I was talking about was how this is um, uh, Gary Oldman's character is a really, really bad trickster. Uh, just in terms of what tricksters are supposed to be, because basically they're just supposed to be chaotic neutral, and this guy clearly is not. And let's be frank, the main character is not special. Hmm. And nothing makes that more clear than the fact that they hired James Marston to play him. And I like James Marston, but you hire him to play somebody who's no one special. He's the American Martin Freeman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The main, his main like typecast is he's the guy who gets rejected for the main character in most comedies or romantic comedies. He was the Prince hmm. Charming in, Encha- in uh, that whatever that movie is with Amy Adams, Enchanted or Unenchanted or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know the one I'm talking about. The one where she winds up with McDreamy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Mm. Or don't Anne Hathaway? No, Anne Hathaway's not in it. It's Amy Ad- It's actually a Disney movie. It's live action, and Amy Adams plays the stereotypical Disney animated princess, except she's transported into the real world, just where it, real world. Okay, yeah, I'm thinking of a different one that had Anne Hathaway in it. Yeah, and James Marsden basically played the Prince Charming character because, of course, he did. Like, mm. it, it's the re- I think that's the reason he got cast as Cyclops, which I'm still <laughs> upset about that. Well, let's be honest. I think we all agree when it comes to the X-Men movies, no character got fucked over more than Cyclops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what he really got fucking me, wrecked. And what really annoyed me about Cyclops in those movies is with each movie... James Marston got better and better and better and then got less and less screen time. Because <laughs> he was not good in the first movie at all. And I think it's because having his eyes covered up, he didn't know what to do. So he kept smiling at awkward moments. And there wasn't exactly a lot on the script for him to work with. But X-Men, but X2, X-Men United, he was awesome in the fight, in the one fight scene he got before he was like thrown out for two thirds of the movie. And him like, just in anguish when Jean Grey dies was amazing. Seeing him completely and totally destroyed as a human being in the beginning of X-Men Last Stand is one of the few good parts of that movie. And even when, and but he's before they kill him for no good reason. And even like the brief appearance he has in X-Men Days of Futures Past, it actually felt like a breath of fresh air to have him there. And I was like, he was becoming a better actor with each movie. And ever since then, he's never had a meaty part. And I, I feel like he, he's kind of like uh, Taylor Kish in the sense that I feel like there's so much more we could get from this guy. And he's got the talent, he's got the looks, and yet he keeps winding up in these nothing movies. Hmm. And so if you, you want... Oh, I'm still on subject, actually. Yeah, hmm. and I don't disagree with anything he said so far. Yeah. Like he's actually really good in this movie. I, I, it's like I would not have liked the character at all if it was played by a lesser actor. And fortunately, I, I, it's one of those things where it's like David Tennant's Doctor. The actor's charisma saves the role. <laughs> mm. There's a Doctor Who fan who wants to kill me for saying that, but let's be honest. If you were to pretend David Tennant did not play the tenth Doctor, those are some pretty bland scripts from a character perspective. Well. In terms of creating a unique character, anyway. I mean, human nature was just amazing. But anyway, uh, but mm. like, yeah, it's, it's, this is a person who I feel like has a very limited viewpoint, did not bother to go out and like really do a lot of research or interact with people outside of their comfort zone. And as a result, put out a movie to the general public saying that basically its overall message is you should all see the world my way, and here's why. And the thing that really did it, like the moment where it could have been saved and they ruined everything, was when they finally introduced Amy Smart's character in the third act. And she's coming up with this incredible, like, nondescript, like, hood Bronxy accent. And one, it immediately made the main character an asshole. Because he's just judging her... Because she's just judging her based on the way she talks. And I would have been, and you know what? I hate, and the movie actually fucking agreed with him. So that just makes it incredibly agree. Like this, that really makes the movie repugnant to me right there. And two, it took AB Smart's character, and for a moment, she was interesting. 
And then she revealed that that wasn't how she actually talks, that she's actually everything the main character thought she was. And that, that then that movie lost all hope with me. Because, like, the, like, one, it shows that this is a person who clearly has a lot of fucking prejudices, but doesn't believe their prejudices. Because something as simple as how somebody talks is enough to judge them entirely is total bullshit. Period. That, and, I mean, for all we know, I mean, I think we all know somebody. It could be someone straight from the hood. It could be, we're in the South, so it could be a good old boy. It's something that everything we have grown up has taught us based on how they talk, that we're just dealing with a horrible, like, subhuman, but they're one of the smartest fucking people we ever met in our lives. Hell, you I know went people. a totally different way than I thought that you were going to go with that. Yeah, dude, you know, <laughs> dude, we're both living in North Carolina. You know good and well we have both met those straight-up redneck good old boy types that we like, <laughs> once you have, like, have a couple of beers in them, you start talking, you're sitting there thinking, like, why aren't you running the world? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but no, 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 no. You're thinking of the cliche. I'm thinking about the ones that are the defiance of that cliche. I have met people that have the thickest Southern accent and never met a Southern slang uh, that they will not use, and you will have a serious fucking conversation about quantum physics, and they'll make you feel like an idiot. You, mm. if you haven't met that person, you need to meet more people in this state. Same thing with that guy. The same thing, like I said, with like someone that's like is straight from the hood, which is exactly the kind of character Amy Smart was like pretending to be when we first finally meet her. I'm not counting the billboard appearances, <laughs> hmm. right? Yeah, and and it's like for all just because she's talking that way doesn't mean she's a bad person. Doesn't mean she's an idiot. Doesn't mean there's something wrong with her. If anything, it means she was thrust into an environment that gave her little to no chances. But this movie is literally telling us, oh yeah, that's exactly a perfectly valid reason to judge a person. Hmm. Hmm. May I inter may I interject? Oh go right ahead. That's the like I said, long pause. <laughs> Okay. Jared holds so, or Gerald Gerald holds the feather now. Well, okay. So I also criticized that part for the exact same reason. I was like, so she's everything you want, and the only thing that seems to be wrong so far is the way she talks, and that's enough for you to just go, fuck this. Now, I well, this is one quick, of the reasons why uh before you go in there, I just want to know. We all agree, right? We don't care what she sounds like, we'd fuck Amy Smart, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like I am not saying that just on like I am I am I am agreeing with you that he is a fool for saying no just because of the way she talks. Oh, I know you I know um, you are. I'm just saying you're <laughs> fucking smart. Yeah. Like I like once they introduce her and she's actually acting, I was like, God, Amy Smart is beautiful. Like jeez, well, I'd forgotten. <laughs> and also, just for a moment, going back to that too, she is such a better actress than the role she's had, like, make it seem. Like, because, like, she did a really good job with that, with, like, playing that different kind of character for the 30 seconds we got it. And it made me just go, God, I, I wish Amy Smart was given meteor roles in her career. Hmm. But then again, I've been a fan of Amy Smart since Road Trip, so. Mm-hmm. 
when you get to see more of Amy Smart than you do in this movie. Eh, I think I like her more in, in compared to either movies in um, Stargirl. And even that isn't like really fully using her talents, in my opinion. Well, I'm talking about her tracks of land. I know what you're talking <laughs> about, dude. I will. I'm gonna make it clear right now. I will never be satisfied with using the crudest of reasons to enjoy or not enjoy somebody. There's like movies I avoid because I can't think of a reason to watch them other than I get to see this person naked. And I, fortunately, in some cases, I I find another reason to watch it. It turns out being one of my favorite movies ever. I love the movie Life Force, and I can guarantee you, if you do a Google search for that movie, all you're gonna get is how the all you're gonna get is like a ton of articles and pictures revealing how the lead actress spent almost the entire film naked. And that's why it took me forever to watch it. But when I did, oh my fucking God, that movie is fantastic. Mm. And yes, the, the lead actress does spend almost the entire movie naked. And thank God. Mm. <laughs> In fact, we should probably make that next week's episode. Life Force. The only B movie to get an A movie budget. Mm. <laughs> aside, aside from The Room. That never, no, The Room doesn't count. That's a B movie. But it had an A movie budget. No, it didn't. Oh, it didn't? No. Yeah. Well, never mind then. <laughs> All right. So, Gerald, your point you were making? Um, so, uh, I also was like, yeah, just because she talks that way is like, I, that, I criticized that point as well. But I, and the fact that, like you said, the movie then made them right because she didn't really talk that way. And, uh, but, I felt like the the scene brought up a lot of good thoughts. And these are thoughts maybe the writer didn't have. But it brought up the fact of when you meet someone in a relationship and it's expectations versus the reality of that person. Mm -hmm. And you have your you have what you think that person is and then what that person is. And then if there is like we say for him to go Amy Smart is he 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 doesn't want to do he doesn't want to be with Amy Smart at that point simply because of the way she talks. But that might be a thing for him. That might be a deal breaker for him. And that doesn't necessarily make him a bad person because you can you can like the idea of someone and then their reality not be what causes emotions in you. Damn it, Gerald! Oh. Why didn't Why didn't you appease the gods? <laughs> I sacrificed enough blood. I thought, um, but uh, but I also feel like the movie should not have said, "Oh, you're right," because it's not right. Because it's also about accepting a person for who they are and being in love with what you find and being in love with the good parts of them and then going, okay, these are the things I love about them. These are the things that I'm on the fence about. And these are the things that are just off putting. Can I tolerate the things that are off putting? Right. So I felt like it was commentary very much on how relationships when you first meet are, which is why when you meet a person, it is important to, to spend more than five seconds in their presence, right? Ah, there we are. My computer crashed out on me. 
Yeah. <laughs> Basically, what I was saying is it was a very good uh, representation, whether the writer intended it or not, of meeting a person and going, okay, this is what I expected, but this is the reality. These are the things I like about this person. These are the things I'm kind of on the fence about. And these are the things that are causing me some issues with accepting. Can I accept those things? And it, I don't think it makes you a bad person for going, well, no, this is not what I was looking for in a partner. Um, the, the problem I had mostly with the scene is that then she turns around and goes, oh, yeah, I just do that you know, as a test, because everyone has a test. And that was another thing I thought was really smart about it is because people do, a lot of people do have tests for the partners that they intend to be in a relationship with. And hers, mm -hmm. and she even, she even explained it. Like, I'll talk like that because most guys are so interested in gaining points with me. They just bypass it and aren't honest with me or just don't say they don't like it it's fine if you don't like something about a person but to then but for the 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 writer to then turn around and go oh he was completely right in in going the way she talked was a fucked up thing also it only being the way she talked instead of some other integral character flaw because the way she talk is the way her the way she talks is a very flimsy thing to to be a deal breaker i feel it should have been something it sh i find it funny that you said what you think makes it smart is what makes it really because it's both in all honesty in my per in my uh perspective it feels like both <laughs> it's like no 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 it's the things you said that's smart about it are what's dumb about it. it. It's because, one, yes, there are people who make those tests. Those are people who never have good relationships and can't figure <laughs> out why. And to, nobody who makes those kinds of tests is, like, mature enough to be in a relationship to begin with. The other reason it's dumb is because um, going to the speech uh, – I let it go on for too long, <laughs> but it's it's um so the speech thing where it's uh -oh. like yeah yeah you got to face those things and you got to accept that maybe I can't accept that but the thing is he never got to the point where he was seeing whether or not it was something he could accept and especially when she's like oh most guys just bypass that part or say they like it what if someone does genuinely like the way she talks how many decent guys who actually are genuinely okay with that does she reject because of because she just figured no decent human being would be okay with someone talking well like i that. address that as well uh david can vouch for me like if you think about it it makes <laughs> well, her a horrible address... person objectively horrible well, <laughs> i ad i address that as well because and david can vouch for me i addressed that as well i was like he also didn't take the time which is why you're supposed to spend more time with the person than five seconds they were only in each other's presence for like five seconds and he'd already decided this relationship yeah. wasn't going to work so i said yeah i criticized that and you're right what if the guy she met did like the way she talked but at the same time if she then went oh that's not really the way i talk now he has to make it now now it's on him to go oh well uh, i really like that but you know it's fine if you don't actually talk that way and hmm. and and i also well that's what i'm saying it's i find nothing right. intelligent about that scene whatsoever and i'm not saying that the people who have those tests are not immature it's like, i'm it's saying that the... it is an internal thing that a lot of people do
Like I, I've watched it. I've, I've observed it. I've seen it happen. Um, and there are things that people do have that are deal breakers. Like when it comes, like I don't date smokers because first off, smoke, uh, uh, cigarette smoke fucks with my allergies and my nose. So I don't like it. Um, I don't think it's healthy. Uh, and I don't like being around it. So if a girl comes up, even if I like her, smoking's kind of a deal breaker. And I'll go as far as to be like, well, would you be willing to give it up? Because it is unhealthy for you. But if it's a thing like she's like, well, I just like to do it and I'm going to continue doing it. Well, I don't like being around it. So this isn't going to work. Okay. Bye, Felicia. Quick question. How many people who are chronic smokers can just give it up? It is an addiction. Well, I, I know that, Evan. I'm not expecting her to give it up in the next five minutes. I'm I'm asking, yeah. could she see herself taking the effort to stop smoking eventually? <laughs> like, I get that. <laughs> well, that's a whole uh, – I think that would be a whole other conversation in general. Oh, I I already figured that out when I said that. Which means there's more. De- there's more layers <laughs> yeah. to that than just that. I never. I remember when. Whenever I talk, I have already. Oh God damn it! Oh, and hello, crit. <laughs> Indeed. But uh, but yeah, the, the uh, Evan is absolutely right. The movie, and like I said, I've watched criticisms of this movie. I've watched reviews. Hmm. I feel like the movie is. In trying to be smart, it is very childishly dumb. Hmm. But the fact that it brings up the things that it brings up is what I enjoy about the movie. And the characters to me are, I don't know, I like the characters. I find them interesting. Um, I also agree with Evan that uh, the Pink Ranger uh, is very much an incredibly interesting story that she's on this journey to find the perfect fuck. But I also like the fact that they fucked with her head by him going, no, I'm just not going to do this. And there was also the point, and yeah, they had her get angry, but there were, and this is something that I found interesting about that scene, is when he told her no, she wouldn't accept it. That's a thing that a lot of women do. If a man tells them no, they immediately become offended because a lot of attractive women are not used to hearing no. And it <laughs> screws with their own, it screws with their own, uh, it screws with their own, uh, their confidence and their uh, personal perception of themselves. And what did she, and what she did afterwards is that she immediately decided to try to shame him into doing it by saying like, what are you gay? You're a wuss. You don't think you're man enough. And it's like, and that's a thing that happens. Men have reported on those kinds of things happening when they meet women in bars, when they just meet women in general and the woman is sexually interested in them and they say no. So I thought that I was like, oh, that's a really good scene. And then it was just really funny when o, uh, O.W., she looked back at O.W. was like, well, are you man enough to be on my list? And he was like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and, she, and she got in the backseat, pulled down his pants, screamed. And just, uh, I was like, I'm sorry. That made me laugh. <laughs> and like, and they, they both, because 
that had been covered previously in another scene where uh and that one that one was funny as hell too just purely for the look on on Matt, on Marsden's face cuz uh so OW says he's never had sex he's a, he's still a virgin always will be because he lost his dick and Neil thinks he's fucking with him again he's like you want to see it and Neil's like yeah let's see it and and eager to see this dude's lack of a dick and then you know you see the look and he's like just that look on his face was priceless enough (laughs) yeah right (laughs) uh, going off of that when Amy Joe Johnson's character is like, well, how about you? And he's like, hell yeah, put me on the list. She jumps up in there. <laughs> she's trying to unbuckle his pants and he's just got like, he's waiting. You can, you can see the smile just waiting to pop up. And then of course, yeah. Neil in the front seat, he's all like, Oh God, here we go. <laughs> and then, then she opens it and she's like, ah! and then OW's like, <laughs> just, <laughs> it was yeah cool. it's just yeah it, it's just and though that's why i enjoy watching this movie even if the writer is a dumbass who doesn't know what who doesn't understand the themes that he's trying to write about which from evan's knowledge of him is uh what's going on here he brings up the question and it's the question that I enjoy so much seeing, even if it's a stupid version of the question. Huh. Um, and that's why I enjoy this movie so much. It's like, like Batten's a really good uh, representation of this as well. It's like, hey, highly addictive drug. Don't use it. Don't leave it alone. It's highly addictive. You're bone. And they're like, hmm? Um, I think Chris and, talking in the background. What's up, guys? Uh, How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, it's and, a euphoria. Uh, euphoria. Yeah, euphoria. And sorry, I'm on a podcast with some other friends, so but uh and uh so they're like, well, he didn't understand what he was doing. They don't understand what they're doing. He's like, yeah, they do. We specifically <laughs> tell them exactly what's going on. And the movie to me was a lot about uh, a lot about choices. It was a mm-hmm. lot about um, practicality versus following your dreams. It was a lot about uh, uh, having a solid foundation versus risk. And like like I said with Evan, uh, the main character's father wasn't wrong. He he wasn't wrong. He was like, no, take this job, have something, have oh. something solid, and then if your if your uh painting goes somewhere, then you can do whatever you want. But at least have something solid. So he he was absolutely right. And I've heard. Okay, crit, crit. You're really loud. You're gonna have to turn yourself down or put yourself on push to talk or something. I um, don't know how to do that on uh, Anchor. Okay. Well, it, can you turn yourself down a little bit? I don't know how to do that. Oh. 
Yeah, I, I literally don't. I've been trying to figure out how to do that shit on Anchor since I started. So I, you guys don't have to hear my domestics in the background. Everybody's still there? Yeah. Yeah, yep. it's just... Can you hear me, David? Of... Okay. Can, uh, can you hear me? My mom's I can. Okay, so continue. Right. <clears throat> um... But when it comes to his dad, and I've heard a lot of like a lot of reviewers have been like, "Your dad bought you a car, you little shit. Be grateful." And I was like, "No, they're absolutely right. He is he is a spoiled rich kid who's completely insulated, which is what Evan said. He is probably never had any real hardships, right? And the fact that he hasn't really makes the movie seem thin." What I what I found interesting about this situation is, yes, his dad bought him a car, but he's also right that his dad bought him a car that his dad liked, not that he liked. How often are you given like if you're giving someone a gift, you're trying to give them something they want. And it doesn't matter how good the gift is. If it's not something I want, I, I have no attachment to it. I have no care for it. Why would you give me something that you yourself wanted? And I was thinking about it, and I was like, okay, so what if, if and listeners out there, what if your your dad or your mother or, or, or someone close to you was like, hey, I bought you a house. And you were like, hmm. oh, fuck, really? You bought me a house? Like, yeah, I bought you a house. And it's like, oh, it's like, and I bought it in a Victorian Welsh style. That I love, but every time you even look at that style, you have to close one eye and turn your head away because it's so ugly to you. And not only that, the house is in Florida, a place you've been to and and have reportedly stated you hate. Like, fun to visit, but you never live there. But you have a house now. <laughs> right. So I'm. So he, so are you supposed to be excited that you now it, like you have a house someone bought you a house that's an amazing thing but are you supposed to be excited for a house that you think is butt fucking ugly and is in a location that you wouldn't be caught dead in if you could avoid it <laughs> like now there are a lot of options you can do with the house like you can rent it out or do stuff like that but I it, it is absolutely understandable for him to be frustrated and upset with his father that his father bought him a car that wasn't for him and considering it was supposed to be a gift. And right. we are welcome never back, shown Evan. in Welcome back Evan. Yeah, sorry. Also I, where I had to oh. unplug and reconnect my Yeah. Hmm. Um also you have to understand that in the movie, we're never shown that the main character has ever had an issue getting anywhere he needed to go. We're never even we're never even told whether he has a car or not. He's in college at the time, I believe it is. Uh, so he's, as far uh, as, he's not in college. They make that clear. He is working. Oh. Okay, yeah, so he, he is out his father's chagrin. <laughs> okay. So, but we're never shown that he's having any issues getting back and forth to wherever it is he needs to go. So the car is absolutely just a gift. Yeah, he's a shit for for uh he's a shit for, you know, throwing it back at his dad and being like, 
oh, well, it, it was a car you wanted for yourself. But at the same time, he's perfectly, perfectly justified in being upset of being given a gift that isn't for him. It's just not for him. It wasn't meant for him. Yeah, it was given to him, but it's not meant for him. It was like if someone gifted you a breast pumper. Yeah, I would not say that at all. I mean, personally, as someone who has no trouble getting from point A to point B, I am not turning down a red BMW convertible from anybody. Like but, I said, he's still a shit for it and not yeah. understanding the practical need. And I was saying, you got you got disconnected. But I was saying, there there's a lot in the themes in this movie about practicality versus following your dream about having a solid foundation or taking a risk there's a lot of that well here's the problem but here's the thing is though he has no risk which is one of my criticisms yeah it's got the la la land problem right (laughs) so when you say it's white privilege the movie you're not wrong because there is no risk to him. He always has something to fall back on, right? Yeah. So the movie would have carried a lot more weight if he had, if he wasn't from a rich family, if he was struggling. Even, um, especially at the end of the movie where he's talking to his dad, and he's like, no, I'm going to paint. And his dad is like, son, that's stupid. You're a mediocre artist at first. And then right at this that point, his sister comes running in talking about, someone wants to buy your painting. And the movie, once again, no. The movie should have immediately shown how hard it is in the art world to be successful. But he goes through it anyway, and then maybe eventually does become successful. It is so I was like, yeah, that was immediately stupid because every time he gets to a point where he should be going through the struggle to show these themes, he is immediately exonerated or handed what he needs. Mm. And that is one of the movie's biggest issues in my eyes as well. I just enjoyed the fact that the questions were put there and the all of the characters are fairly inter- are entertaining to me. Like I, I just I have fun with the movie. I just do. But yeah, right. I, I, I don't agree with the entertaining with characters bit one hundred percent. Yeah. Especially since if you got Chris Cooper, you're you're getting a good performance. But the thing is, just laying the questions down is not enough. Like the there even the questions he did lay down weren't even new in two thousand two. And that's All right. Yeah. And that's the problem. That's the problem with Bob Gale as a writer in general. I think he. I think the only thing he put a decent amount of thought into was Back to the Future, and even yeah. then, God only knows how much of it was Robert Zemeckis coming in and actually saying, "Okay, now let's turn this into a good story." <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how often a director is the one doing that, where it's like, uh, I, I think I remember as they said in film class, like if you don't have a good script, you don't have a good movie. But it's like, no, if you don't have a script with potential then you don't have a good movie because there are scripts that are there are scripts that when i looked at them they're actually pretty bad but somebody saw the potential in them and fixed things sometimes through a rewrite of the script sometimes they were like doing it on the spot as they were filming the movie etc etc but if there's potential there then a good director can work with that and 
I think even taking the most basic of concepts with Back to the Future, you can see how that clearly the director saw all the potential that had. This one, well, I think the problem is the writer was the director. Hmm. I can see how that would cause problems. <laughs> well, I mean, just look at how like the biggest flaw in most of Christopher Nolan's movies is that the the director is the writer. <laughs> <laughs> Like as much as I love Christopher Nolan movies, it's uh, he, uh, he is not the best script writer. <laughs> <laughs> I have just recently rewatched uh, The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, and I'm like, oh, I forgot how bad the dialogue is in these movies. Indeed. Hmm. But any more thoughts? <clears throat> I will add that I found this movie, I think in 2003 or 2004, I was living in South Dakota back when they still had places to rent movies from. I think I went out, you know, that night and was like, you know, uh, I want to go rent a movie. Saw that. So it had Amy Smart on it, like Amy Smart. So I was like, okay, I'll rent this. And you know, kind of like uh, like Gerald said, you know, it's it just smart, <laughs> <laughs> right? But it, you know, it's just uh, I guess it was the right movie at the right time, at least for me. I, I like the movie. You know, all the points that the both of you make are valid. I'm not going to change the fact that I like the movie. Eh, nor should it. It's not changing the fact that I like the movie. Like, the writing is bad. I, I completely agree with Evan on that. It is. But man, do I enjoy the characters. Man, do I enjoy the situations. And even if the writer is too dense to understand the world from different perspectives and views, I like it. when, like Evan said, just posing the question wasn't enough, which is part of the reason why I feel like it should have been a TV show, because then the questions could have been explored properly. But the fact that the uh, questions were there made me think about things, so I, I, I just enjoyed that. So the, reason, the only reason I disagree with you about the TV show thing is simply because of the year this came out, and that was, that was just before the golden age of TV. <laughs> like, five years afterwards? Maybe. And even then, that's assuming you have, like, I, if it was being handled by uh, the guy who did um, Breaking Bad, I think he could do a lot with this concept. But right, if it, for me, it's right there in that same category as Green Book, where it's like, if you just look at it as a piece of fluff entertainment, fine. If you try to treat it as more than that, and I feel like that's what the writer wanted you to do, the writer-director Bob Gale, then that's when it becomes a problem for me. And I just can't enjoy it. Hmm. I think if I had came across at the same time in my life, you guys did uh, about the same year where it's been only a couple years old during that period, I would have enjoyed it just fine. But I'm a cynical 38 year old man. <laughs> so it's been 18 years since this movie came out, which let's, let me just point out because he was a Sonic the Hedgehog recently. Mm -hmm. Is James Marston bothered aging at all in 20 years? He's Not that I'm aware. <laughs> he looks disturbingly the same. Mm -hmm. 
You are not. Hopefully one day he'll get that. Hopefully he'll get that Heath Ledger opportunity where he just gets that one role that finally lets people lets him show people what he could really do. Because I really think we've never seen the full potential James Marsden has. As long as he doesn't kill himself afterwards. <laughs> Preferably not. Thankfully, Taylor Kitsch got to play the friggin' Waco guy, so there's that. People are finally starting to recognize the talent I always knew he had. I know that seems like a non-sequitur, but Taylor Kitsch is very similar in the sense that he's this really handsome guy who should be a star, but just, well, in his case, it was that he was in constantly shitty movies. Wasn't <laughs> With the exception of... No. No, that was Emil, Emil Hirsch. Yeah. Emil Hirsch. Yeah, Emil Hirsch, yeah. Never mind. Yeah, no, but he wasn't. He, the only good movie he did was John Carter, and that was a good movie nobody watched. Oh, so. okay, yeah. Actually, um, now I will say John Carter was a good movie if you hadn't read the book. I think it's a great movie, especially if you've read the book. Yeah. Because it eliminates the flaw the book had, which is the book was very much a product of its time. Mm. You cannot do a direct translation of that book. It does not work. <laughs> you could have when, it, when the book was first written. You definitely can't today. The thing is racist as fuck and sexist as fuck. Yeah. I still like the movie, though. Oh, I love the movie. I think the movie is one of the, honestly, in my opinion, uh, in terms of like what's called genre fiction, I think it's one of the best movies of the last 10 or 20 years. Just as they won't do any more of the any more of that series. Yeah, well, they really should have called it John Carter of Mars instead of just John Carter. Because yeah. I'm not going to lie, I was excited when I saw the first trailer, but that was only because I knew what John Carter was. <laughs> right. As a famously bad trailer and one of the rare occasions where it wasn't the trailer people's fault hmm. I mean if you want an example of how good you can do with a trailer look at Suicide Squad's first trailer hmm. alright any other thoughts for Interstate 60 before we continue on take route 666 I couldn't mm. help it. I had to put the joke in there. <laughs> ah, you're fine. <laughs> All right. We will um, take Go ahead. No, uh, oh, no. I was, I was about to say, um, nah, I think you're either going to... You're either going to hate this movie or you're going to laugh at it for what is good about it, which is mostly the characters. Um, yeah. yeah. But... Like I said, I think the thing that's to his credit is, like I said, it's like Green Book for me, but unlike Green Book, it's in no way, shape, or form being presenting itself, I feel like, as a milestone, nor are, is it or nor is anyone trying to shove it down our throats like it's supposed to be a milestone. So in that regard, I it's, 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 it's not like Twilight or something like that where it has too much influence. I am perfectly okay with this movie existing, even though I don't like it and have issues with it. Yeah. I know that sounds weird, like I'm some kind of authority on this thing or something like that, but I always have a problem with something when it takes on a cultural um, significance that is actively damaging. And I don't just mean like in my opinion, I mean like 
sends the wrong message can and literally can ruin the lives of the people who follow it if you're not careful. And I feel like this is just entertainment. And I kind of I'm kind of hoping that even though I think Bob Gale thinks he's smarter and more observant than he actually is, that he never meant it to be anything but entertainment. Fair point. All right, so we're going to take a sponsor break, and uh, we'll get into our next uh, subjects. We will be right back. Okay. Famous last words. <laughs> mm. Okay, that's Gerald, I'm assuming, because I'm having to use my actual yep. phone that's a slow piece of shit. I'm still waiting for my copy the phone of that actually works. So my life can officially begin. <laughs> okay, so before I was so rudely disconnected by whatever, Gerald, if <laughs> I more blood to the machine gods, please, um, mm. I would. I don't I have much that, left, but I'll do what I can. Right. So I was, was going to be the black his... people giving the blood. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> this is why we're anemic often. So, <laughs> Right. So I had, uh, I had just mentioned that Disney now owns the uh, intellectual property of the Alien franchise. Oh, yeah. You missed the I part where I corrected you. Okay. They don't now own it. They've owned it for a couple of years now. That goes with the. They had that. That's not breaking news. That went with the. Mm. They got the. They bought 20th Century Fox. They own everything 20th Century Fox owned, and that included the Alien franchise. Gotcha. So I was just going to muse. I was just musing about when is the Alien Queen going to become the next Disney princess? Oh, I would love that. The important thing is. I want. <laughs> That this means they have the rights to um, what is it? Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of that movie, Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know what that means? Oh, Doctor Frankenfurter is going to be a Disney princess too. Don't act like Wonderful. we don't all want to see Tim Curry as a Disney princess. We know we do. Hmm. But it'd have to be '70s era Tim Curry because Tim Curry now not so princess like. Mm. For clarification's sake, he is not doing the best health wise. It's not a case of like he's being canceled or something. Right. He's no JK yeah. Rowling, thank fucking God. Hmm. Right. So let us go ahead and speak about Sir Ian Fleming. Now, uh a quick question before we let you dive into all this, Evan. Did was Ian Fleming a commander in the Royal Navy? No. Uh, pretty much his okay. entire service in World War II was working in intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, he was basically the assistant uh, to an administrator who was famous for being basically – I'm sure your time in the military, you've seen this. He's the kind of person who uh, doesn't make friends within his own organization, but is clearly good at their mm. job. Mm. And – Ian Fleming is the kind of guy who could charm the pants. Was, well, was. He's not alive anymore, obviously. But he was the kind of guy who could charm the pants off of anybody. He really he was the living embodiment of roguish charm. 
so he was often the liaison between that guy and everybody else in the organization and wound up being indispensable. And he was basically so good at schmoozing and being genuinely good at his job that he eventually got to a point where, and this is literally where like a lot of the James Bond plots come from, which is that uh, it was literally his job to come up with these crazy, insane plots to undermine the enemy. Hmm. Yeah, I. that's what I also read, is that a lot of his service time became the backdrop for the James Bond movies. Uh, uh, novels. A lot of backdrop for the novels, yeah. Which the first one, if I'm not mistaken, was Casino Royale? Uh, yes, I believe the very first book he wrote was Casino Royale. Um, hmm. uh, and it, actually, uh, a fact that I found out about is that John F. Kennedy named From Russia with Love as his top 10 favorite books. One of it's like number two, I think. And that's also why that movie got made right away after Dr. No was a success. Hmm. Right. So wait, I thought Goldfinger was the second movie. No, it's the third. Third. Okay. Oh, believe me, I have an encyclopedic knowledge of these James Bond movies. I can tell you each and every single one of them in order what year they came out and even even a lot of the production issues going in. Hmm. In fact, I kind of feel bad. I know a lot more about the James Bond movies than I do about Ian Fleming. That said, because of the James Bond movies, that doesn't stop me from knowing more than the average person about Ian Fleming. So let us dive into that. Like Ian Fleming into his, best, into his rich friend's wives. Let's dive into it. <laughs> oh, my. Well, his the wife uh, who he married was from a uh, marriage that, of a woman that he was having an affair with. She left her husband for him. Uh, is that his first wife or second wife? I can't remember if he had more than one wife or not. Because I know his uh, first. I believe. Oh, good. I believe his first wife wasn't actually married to anybody, and he basically married her because he knocked her up. So it was not a, hmm. like there was no romance in that marriage from the jump or anything like that. It's just. To avoid scandal, he had to marry her. Yeah, then it was his second wife. Okay, yeah. And uh, I'm wondering if that's the woman who was the best friend to the woman who became his best friend. Uh, Because she actually is interviewed in like several of the DVDs and things for the James Bond movies where she said the way they met was, uh, it turns out Ian Fleming, well... This isn't much of a surprise if you know anything about Ian Fleming, but he's a pretty shitty boyfriend. Mm. And she called him out on it. And he, uh, she just went up to him because she was really mad about the way she, he was treating her friend when they were seeing each other. And she just said, I want you to know, sir, that I think you are a scoundrel and a cad. And his response was just to smile at her and say, I believe you're right. Would you like to have a drink and talk about it? And they've been best friends and they were best friends for the rest of their for the rest of his life. <laughs> like I said, he is the living. He was there was a human being in all of history who was the living embodiment of roguish charm. It was Ian Fleming. Indeed. So continue. Give us 
Give us the deets. We want the deets. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what deets to give. I mean, one, unlike American military, it's a big difference between like American government work and the British is that there isn't exactly a capstone on uh, a lot of work that was done. So there's a lot of stuff the British did from the intelligence perspective we don't know about to this day and foreseeably probably never will unless somebody breaks into some like deep underground bunker full of like the documents of this shit. <laughs> like to this day, mm-hmm. like uh, not a spoiler for later on, we're also going to talk about Christopher Lee. We honestly don't know what Christopher Lee did for SAS. Mm, so he was in the SAS. He did okay. work for the SAS. Well, I'm not for, saying he but... was in the SAS. I'm not saying he wasn't in the SAS. All we know is that we he just, did work for the SAS. Right. <laughs> we'll get into that Can't when we start talking about Christopher Lee. <laughs> Can't tell you about that. I have to kill you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> for Ian Fleming, though, basically put, he was a very important but very passive part as far as England's concerned of the war in the sense that he was never on the front lines. He was never fighting. He worked entirely in the intelligence agency because World War II is this interesting time. If you know a person who was famous from like the 60s, 70s, and probably arguably the 80s, who was British, I mean the 70s, yeah, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, who was British, chances are they were doing something in World War II. Like, even though she was a kid, um, what's her name? Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, What's the name of that actress? Audrey Hepburn? Yeah, she even did some work for like the British government in World War II, doing some mild uh, spying as a kid while she was starving on the streets. Mm. <laughs> and uh, going back into, I mentioned like Ian Fleming did Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, going back to another guy who wrote famous children's books, Roald Dahl. Like, mm. he, like even he was doing, like he literally had to, he was a reluctant James Bond in World War II is the best way to put it. His job was literally to sleep with the, to have sex with the wife of a major like government diplomat or something like that, who was clearly in bed with the Axis powers to get information out of her. And um, I always like bring up this joke. It's a bit of a not so good, but just give you an idea of just like the kind of stuff going on in world war two with Britain, great Britain. Uh, if you, if you ever do get a chance, look up Roald doll, look up this story and look up the woman he had to sleep with. Cause even by 21st century standards, this is not a woman you would kick out of your bed. Well, I bring, let that be a, for my let, country. Let that be a lesson to all you traders. Don't talk to your wife about access power stuff. They'll bang her and she'll squeal. More importantly, make sure you're <laughs> fucking your wife. <laughs> because now, to the, now, honestly, I don't, I don't know if he wasn't fucking his wife because I think he was like a good ten or uh, her husband was like a good ten or twenty years older than her or something, or if it was just or. But one thing's for sure, one way or another, he was not meeting the wife's demands. Cause it turns out she was pretty much a nymphomaniac. <laughs> of course she <laughs> was. Roald Dahl would regularly send messages back to the a British government saying, "For the love of God." Pull me out. I want to stop. I can't keep doing this. <laughs> and they would just respond with, think of queen and country, which is not the best way to keep your erection, but okay. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is not the way this works, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and I love telling people, like, when you look at, when you look up Roald Dahl and how just antisocial he was and how he, like, uh, how he, um, like often was seen as being like really mean or even hating kids. I'm like, well, what do you expect after world war two? He literally had no more fucks to give. 
<laughs> like, take Man. the Viagra. It's like, I can't take more without it being a health problem. Do it anyway. <laughs> Queen and country did so. Country. Now, just, just for c- clarification, if people don't know, Roald Dahl is the is man who wrote Alice in Wonderland, right? No, 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 no. That's a completely different century. No, no that was he, Lewis Carroll. Yeah. No, he wrote um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, uh, which yeah. is... Uh, the Glass almost, Elevator? Um, is that the follow-up to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? I think so. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to remember the other one. Um, not which uh, is uh, Steven Spielberg made a movie about about five or six years ago about the friendly giant. I want to say BFG, big friendly giant. Yeah, yeah, BFG. Yeah, he, he's famous for writing in what, all these wonderful children's books with really dark undertones, <clears throat> and was not shy about his opinions, which <clears throat> ties right into Ian Fleming because if you've read those James Bond novels, um. Yeah, he's not. Ian Fleming is clearly not shy about his opinions, his very racist, sexist, and homophobic opinions either. <laughs> mm. However, I would Fleming, argue why? that. Well, he was a man of his time. But what I like about Ian Fleming, uh, particularly his writing, is that for all of its problems, you, even by today's standards, a big difference between James Bond in the books and James Bond in the movies is that I feel like Ian Fleming is aware he is not a good person, that the things he was told to value are not necessarily values, and is actually really good about self-criticizing in the book, even if there are more things he should have self-criticized about than he did. Yeah, there's an excerpt saying uh, where he says James Bond is not the hero of the books. He's not a bad man, but he... uh, he likes to fight, and he uh, like he enjoys the fight, and he enjoys the rewards of fighting. But he is actually not the hero. Yeah, he's supposed to be just a blunt instrument for the government to use. Like, we don't like that guy. Go kill him. Okay. And I also like how he, in the books, he clearly does it in the movies, he actually fetishizes normal life. Like, he laments the fact that the kind of person he is and the job he chooses to do means that, in his mind, he will never get to sit down, never just have a wife, never just have, like, the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids and all that other stuff because he's just too addicted to the adrenaline of what he does. And honestly, if the government didn't pick him up, he'd probably be a serial killer. (laughs) Because that dude is freaking psychotic in the book. Like, all those traits that we – that. It really is kind of the same way he is in those early movies, except the books are smart enough to treat the problematic aspects of the character, with the exception of his homophobia and racism, as problematic. And there were several stories where the message is that, no, you should not be hooking up with someone like James Bond, which is interesting because if you leave out the violence and the fighting and stuff like that, Ian Fleming is very much James Bond as a person. He was just drinking constantly, just sleeping with women and having affairs all over the place and just being incredibly charming and handsome. And it's clear that he understood that that made him a horrible person to some extent. Hmm. So where does the homophobia come into it? Uh, Goldfinger. 
Oh, so Goldfinger was a uh, homosexual? Oh no, Goldfinger fucked women that were painted in gold. Pussy Galore, on the other hand, uh, she was a lesbian. Yep. Uh, but ah, gotcha. According to Ian Fleming, I have actually read the novel. Every lesbian <clears throat> just needs a good dicking. <laughs> The funny thing about it is, even though because he wasn't into gay men either, he thought homosexuality in general was just an aberration that some people just need to get over. But he had a ton of gay friends, like openly gay friends, and he was really good and nice to them. So I guess he just didn't approve of the idea of having it as a lifestyle, but he liked the people. <laughs> mm. Interesting. He was an interesting dude. And I think he was, I'm not 100% sure, but I think he actually had to vet his James Bond novels at first uh, because he did because he did work in British intelligence. So, like, we got to make sure you're not putting anything in there. I just imagine they just read uh, his first novel, Casino Royale, and was just like, oh, y- y- yeah, you're not giving away any friggin' secrets. Just go for it. Have a field day. <laughs> hmm, right. And to give you an idea of how loose he was with his morals, uh, he had a tendency to just take things without asking. Like the name, like the way he came up with the name James Bond is James Bond is the name of an, uh, if I remember correctly, ornithologist or I forget what you call it, someone who who studies birds basically. Ornithologist. Thank you. Yes, he was an ornithol is the name of an ornithologist. <clears throat> Didn't know the guy. He just saw his name on the spine of one of his like um, reference books that he had on a shelf, and was just like, well, that sounds like the most boring name I could possibly come up with. I'll just use it. And and he did that a lot. Like he just kept borrowing people's names. He would take locations, stuff like that. Put in all the books. It didn't get him in trouble until he did um, Thunderball. And Thunderball is where he fucked up bad. <laughs> and, and that's also what led to his to his death because Thunderball was. Um... So here's the story behind Thunderball, and this is a perfect example of somebody being in the wrong. But the person handling it in a way where they're no longer in the right, <laughs> uh, which is uh, that uh, for a good portion of his time, uh, I'd say the last decade of his life, give or take, he was really he was starting to gain interest in the idea of James Bond being in a series of movies. We're thinking like early to mid fifties when this is happening, long before Eon came calling, and. Um, he was approached by, I forget the guy's first name, but something McClure, and another dude who were like, hey, we want to make a movie out of this. Uh, your character, so why about you work with us when we do an original idea? He was, he's like, okay, fine, sounds great. But one, in my, it, it, generally speaking, you can imagine how much of a hassle it can be when three people are trying to write one script. And he got progressively more and more hands-off because he got really frustrated with just the general process of not just writing a script, but actually actively having to try to get it made and all this stuff that comes with movie making. And so eventually he just fucked back off to his island, which is called Goldeneye, for those wondering, and just wrote another James Bond hmm. novel. And when he came back, they were like, yeah, there's we, we wrote the script, but there's no way the movie can be made. But he read the script and really liked it, so he rewrote it as a novel, and that novel was Thunderball. He did not credit the original writers, because in his mind, it's just okay to do this thing. It's just what he does anyway. Hmm. 
the original writers did not take well. Oh, more specifically, McClure. The other guy, I think he was there for the first lawsuit, but then he just got over it. Um, was not happy with that. And it basically spent a very long time with, like, the rights being in litigation. Uh, the problem was this McClure guy. I think it's Mark McClure might be his name. Like, you Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You might remember me from no, such films as this. Not even close. <laughs> That's uh, He never reached that level of success. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, literally, all this guy had going for him is that he is the co-creator of Thunderball. I have to specify Thunderball because for reasons I will get into. Uh, he, if I remember correctly, they basically won the first lawsuit but didn't win everything. Uh, basically put the first lawsuit just came to the conclusion of like, yes, Ian Fleming, you should have acknowledged that these guys came up with this story and that you just plainly stolen them and they do deserve some of the like royalties for it and all that. But then the movies happened. Like, Dr. No came out. It was a huge, like, I, I don't think it's possible to explain. Like, no, no, it is. What the Marvel movies have been for the last 10 years, that was James Bond throughout all the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when those movies got big, McClure suddenly wanted a bigger piece of the pie. And this is when he started being an asshole. Because he stopped saying simply that, hey, I came up with Thunderball, and by extension, like, Ernst Stavro, Blofeld, and Spectre, which were creations of his with the other guy. But he also tried to claim that basically he created everything James Bond, including all hmm. the stuff that very obviously were in like, uh, let's see, at least a half dozen novels before he came along. And as well as like, by this point, at least I think four or five short stories. And that's what kind of put it in litigation hell to forever. It got worked out enough so that Eon could make the movie Thunderball, but then they, but then um, it got, but then it was like they only got that for a little while. Similar to how for a while uh, Marvel could only the the Marvel Studios can only use Spider Man for a bit uh, until their yeah. contract. It's very similar to that. And once that expired, McClure just became a greedy asshole about all things Thunderball and would not let them touch anything that he was accredited to legally. Namely, Ernst Dover, Blofeld, Spectre, and the basic plot of Thunderball. They weren't allowed to do anything with it for the longest time. That's why we didn't see Spectre, like the organization from 1971 until literally the last James Bond movie that came out about three or four years ago. The one called Spectre? Yeah. And same with Ernst Dover, Blofeld. He technically kind of made an appearance in 1981. But they basically just used all the imagery created from the movie that we that a James Bond fan would recognize as Blofeld, but never referred to him by name. Because that would be legally admitting that that's Blofeld, and they could have gotten in trouble with that. Uh, loopholes within loopholes. Yeah. This is also the reason um, Never Say Never Again got made, which came out in 1983 which was McClure making his own James Bond movie based off of the one James Bond thing that he could do, which is Thunderball. So it's basically a remake of Thunderball. 
and it should be pointed out that this was that this thing was like a fucking dead al- albatross against uh, across McClure's neck. So when Eon Production came calling after he died, saying, "Hey, do you? Uh, we really want the rights to Thunderball and all the stuff that comes with it back." It, his like surviving family members wanted rid of it. They were like, "Here, take it. This thing has been nothing but a curse on this family." Hmm. <laughs> and it's all because this dude was just fucking obsessed with trying to claim all things James Bond. Like I said, he was initially in the right. But he handled it in such a way that you can't that you can't really be on his side when all is said and done. And it literally caused so much trouble for Ian Fleming himself that it led to the health that the court all the court drama led to the health issues that eventually killed him in the late sixties. That sliding scale from hero to villain, it's an easy thing to move it. Oh, no, I Ian was, Fleming I never not, not Ian Fleming, uh, Christopher Lee never stopped being a hero. <laughs> for Ian Fleming, I say he's like James Bond. He's not a hero. He just is. Hmm. Aside from one that, does not, one does not simply Ian Fleming, <laughs> or something, something like that. And he was the step cousin to Christopher Lee. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, uh, Christopher Lee's mom married his uncle, mm-hmm. and she was a countess. I wanted to delve deeper into that and her family as well because she was a freaking countess, and I was interested in that. Ugh, did not have the time. <laughs> <clears throat> well, Christopher Lee was born into greatness, <laughs> literally. <laughs> He's a well, him and him and Ian both were basically like Ian's father was on Parliament. His his father's obituary was literally written by Winston Churchill. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite the feather in the cap. Yeah, but that's if you had let me finish. What I was going to say was Christopher Lee is the descendant of Charlemagne. Hmm. <laughs> Mm. So when I say he was born into greatness, I don't mean greatness with context. I mean genuine fucking greatness, no matter who the fuck you are. <laughs> Indeed. He is part of a legendary lineage. <laughs> Which he made very clear in the last, like, uh, 10 or 20 years of his life. Where, Well, are we ready to start talking about Christopher Lee, or should we? Or is there anything else we want to add about Ian Fleming? We can probably jump back and forth as necessary, but yeah, we can go ahead and segue into Christopher Lee. I don't really have anything else to add about Ian Fleming. Um, yeah, I wish I could say more about his war years, but it's mainly his James Bond stuff, and I just know that literally his job was to come up with the kind of insane plots, and some of the James Bond novels' plots that then were got recycled into the movies were actual plans that he actually had given to the British intelligence agency to enact against the Axis powers that basically just never got used solely because the war ended. (laughs) Well, lucky them. Yeah. No, he did try to blow up uh, Fidel Castro with a Cuban cigar. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Segways within segways. So, so yeah. Succession. Uh, Sir Christopher Lee. I uh, mean, what 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 can't we say about this badass? Anything bad? 
<laughs> mm. and, and not a case of like someone will be horribly offended. I mean, if you're saying bad things about Christopher Lee, chances are you're lying. <laughs> or you're a dirty communist Nazi sympathizer. I'm not dirty even 100% communist. sure you're that. But or you're me, a lying dirty communist sympathizer. <laughs> <laughs> to me, though, there are two incidents with Christopher Lee that perfectly define the man's life story. Uh, the first was on the set of um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, where Peter Jackson made the innocent mistake of trying to explain in detail what the sound and effect would be of stabbing somebody with a dagger. I think it was for his death scene. And, and Christopher Lee responded with, you don't have to tell me I remember it well. <laughs> the other one is during an interview and I don't know when this interview was done which was, uh, was some reporter or something like that uh, I think cameras were rolling for it at first too but whenever, when all the recording stuff and all that was turned off because um, they had asked about his military service and he said like he always does that you know I can't talk about that it's all classified the reporter like said, but seriously, there's nothing recording or anything. Can you tell me anything about like your time, like the stuff you did there? And he just leaned in and said, well, can you keep a secret? And the guy said, yeah, yeah. And he just responded with, so can I. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Classy. laughs> if Ian Fleming was the suaveness of James Bond, like the talk of the talk of James Bond, Christopher Lee was the man who walked the walk. <laughs> like, mm. as, Indeed, and uh, I, I like that they became good friends with his like actual cousin from his uh, mom's side of the family. So technically, I guess he's a count. Um, uh, is that something that's hereditary, being a count or countess? Uh, it, can it can be. be. It, it mostly is inherited. Actually, I think at that time, okay. it was mostly inherited. Then yeah, then his uh yeah, then his mom and by extension his cousin were definitely uh, countess and count respectively, uh from Italy. They get their family earned that in the seven in the sixteenth century, and um he basically I remember he joined the RAF because he didn't feel like following in his father's footsteps. Not to be confused with his stepfather, because uh, his parents got divorced when he was uh they got separated when he was four and divorced when he was six, and um. Then his mother buried his stepfather, uh, which apparently, I guess they just didn't have like much of a relationship because the last recordings of interaction with the stepfather is that he apparently ran into him like while they were going their respective ways into different battles in World War II, and he did not say anything. He didn't interact with him really, aside from, I guess, a look, and that was the last time he ever saw him. <laughs> But while he was in Italy, he did meet his cousin Niccolo, and they became good friends and stayed in contact with each other. And Niccolo wound up being very important for why we know who Christopher Lee is. Uh, what I do know is he was in the Royal Air Force. He flew for a little bit until he kept complaining about blurry vision and headaches to where it turns out he had an aberration of the eye where he was told by the doctors he couldn't fly anymore, which he found devastating because he was all about that. I want to contribute to World War II life. Um mm. And he wound up taking, I think, a few desk jobs or something like that while constantly looking for a way to get back into combat until he got into British uh, intelligence, which is where he did those jobs for the SAS. As far as I know, there's no official record saying he was in the SAS, but we know for a fact that he did work for the SAS. And to this day, we do not know what he did. 
for the SAS. And unlike um, American intelligent work, if I remember correctly, it's like after 50 years, things get declassified no matter what, if I got that right. Uh, you guys can probably correct me on that if I'm not. Some Something like that. Yeah. Um, that is not – it's – it's uh, definitely a case-by-case basis when it comes to that stuff in British intelligence. So there is some stuff that, legally speaking, is never from now until doomsday supposed to be declassified. And apparently Christopher Lee's uh, tenure in World War II is a part of that. <laughs> hmm. So and, to, and he went his entire life without saying anything that happened to that, whether that is just due to extreme patriotism leading to a lifelong silence or just a classic case of that was just a horrible fucking time and I don't want to relive it or a combination of the two. Nobody can say. All we know is uh, that after that, he gave the idea of going back to a desk job because he said after the excitement of the war, he couldn't see himself doing that anymore. And his cousin Niccolo said, have you tried acting? Hmm. And I think at one point he was in the Guinness Book of World Records for most roles in a movie theater by any in a movie in theatrical films than any other actor or something like that. Um, yeah. He might still be in there. I can't remember. I think at the time he got to get over two hundred roles in various movies and TV shows. Ooh, and that's including. Not even counting. Mm, go ahead, Man with the Golden Gun. Yes, <laughs> where he was the best part of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, he also did a. Go ahead. Oh no, I was going to point out he did a lot of voice acting too. He was apparently a voice actor in The Corpse Bride by Tim Burton. Yep, mm-hmm. he was. Of course, Clone Wars is where a lot of people might also uh, recognize him in the Star Wars. Uh, I think you'll remember movies. him most for Lord of the Rings. Most. I don't know. I remember him as Count Dooku. Yeah, so, but in general probably... culture, Lord of the Rings stands out more. Not because no one's going to forget anything Star Wars, but when people think Star Wars, they're thinking more of the original trilogy than the prequel trilogy. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're going, if you're going for the broader mainstream as opposed to just like the niche fanhoods, you're most likely going to remember him from the Lord of the Rings trilogy of Saruman. He was for decades supposed to be Gandalf. Yeah, but the other actor, they did the other actor instead, correct? Yeah, Ian McKellen, McKellen, yes. And uh, basically, Peter Jackson uh, said, he's just a better fit, but we think you would make an excellent Saruman instead. And the reason he was supposed to play the role for decades, uh, because pretty much almost since the books were released in the 50s, there was talk of making movies out of Lord of the Rings. It just took like 50 years, like nearly 50 years for someone to figure out how to do it. And even then, hmm. and by someone, I mean a lot of someone's really. It was a combination of effort, including one of the most awesome decisions by a movie studio ever. Um, so, but um, he's also uh, he was also related to J.R.R. Tolkien, the creator of uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and he always and Tolkien always said that he felt that he should play Saruman. And tried to put it into the film rights uh, until the day he died. Like, hey, if you're gonna make a movie out of this, he's got to be Saruman. And hmm. it was, but it was Peter Jackson who convinced not Saruman. Sorry, I meant Gandalf. You, you be Gandalf. And it was Peter Jackson who convinced him that he would make a better Saruman instead. And I agree. <laughs> um, that's all I could say there. He was, he was awesome as Saruman. <clears throat> yeah. Apparently, he was also supposed. He was also going for the role of Magneto in the X Men movies, and also got beaten out by uh, Kellen. 
they uh, they cast they ca- yeah McKellen and they casted McKellen instead for that as well. There was so, another movie I was reading about. I'm forgetting the name. Um, and it stated that he turned the role down, but in later interviews, like le- years later, he wished he had accepted it. I think it was The Matrix, but I could be wrong. Might have been. Hmm. Who is he going to play in The Matrix? No, not that, The Matrix. That? That's, Sean, that's actually Sean Connery. <laughs> I got to Ian Fleming. Oh, right, right. He turned down the role of Judge Doom in the Who Killed Roger Rabbit movie. Or Who ah. Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, in a later interview, I believe he was stating that he wished he had actually taken the role. I love he also voiced, like that. Yeah. He also voiced Ansem in Kingdom Hearts and the Jabberwocky in the Alice in the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movie. <laughs> which, when I thought and, back to it, I was like, oh, fuck, that really was him. And played, <laughs> and played uh, Charlie's father, uh, not Charlie, Willy Wonka's Willy father in Charlie and the Chocolate yeah. Factory. And ironically yeah, enough, yeah, in I'll all of this... I love how we brought up all these great things he did with and we completely buried the lead on the one thing he's probably the most famous for, at least among cinephiles, if you're especially if you're not a Lord of the Rings fan. Motherfucker was Dracula. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna <laughs> sorry, we hadn't gotten to that. That was uh, that was one of the things uh, he did a lot of interviews about how he was basically the first. He did a bunch of Dracula films for Hammer Hammer Studios, and, and he was Frankenstein's he also, monster. And too. he was Frankenstein. Yeah, that's what I was getting. He was also <laughs> Frankenstein. He was actually he actually played Frankenstein first, and then they casted him as Dracula. And they the director stated that whereas other portrayals of Dracula were. Uh, basically like this this man with like power is that Christopher Lee brought like sex to the role like when you when you watch Christopher Lee as Dracula this I was... don't think that's fair because <laughs> Bella Lug- no Bella Lugosi was actually Bella Lugosi the... yeah that Bella was it Bella Lugosi who played yeah Bella Lugosi was, Bella was Lugosi. actually equally uh praised for his role as Dracula for basically being sexy well, that's what I remember. That's that's what was written, and his direct and uh, Christopher Lee's director is the one who said that. So that's just his perspective. Well, uh, I don't think any of us can deny the sexiness of Christopher Lee. Yeah, <laughs> but he also he also felt like they were trying to typecast him as Dracula, and it got to a point where he said in an interview that it was all it was pretty much downright blackmail. <laughs> when he did like the last four to five movies because he wanted out of the role because he always considered himself more he always wanted to explore like comedic acting and that there was more humor in his actor in his acting and he did not want to get typecasted in it but it got to a point where they were basically blackmailing him to keep him in the role okay hmm. I've, I finally found what I was looking for it's is a meme that's been around forever. It was back. <laughs> this this came out back during the years of like the awesomeness of Chuck Norris memes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and this and somebody made this as a response. It's just a picture. It's just with classic meme format of here's a black background. Here's the picture of this person. Except the picture is partic- is really small in this case, and you're gonna find out why because I'm gonna read this meme verbatim. Sir Christopher Lee. He was Dracula. He was a Bond villain. He was Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes. He yes. was death. 
He was Lucifer. He was Count Dooku. He was Saruman. He was Lord Summerisle. He recorded a heavy metal concept album about Charlemagne. Yes, I was going to mention that. <laughs> he hunted Nazis during World War II. He was part of a secret agent unit called the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. When told by Peter Jackson to imagine how a man being stabbed in the back sounds, he told him he didn't have to imagine it. He's fluent in English, <laughs> Italian, French, German, and Spanish. Moderately proficient in Swedish, Russian, and Greek, and conversational in Mandarin or in Mandarin Chinese. Uh -oh. Let's see Chuck Norris top that. <laughs> but he's Chuck fucking Norris, bitch. He's but killed he more men than 40 score of your puny civil war. <laughs> But he ain't no Christopher Lee. <laughs> but he ain't no Christopher Lee. <laughs> Christopher Lee over on the side. Oh, no, we got a bad ass over here. <laughs> <laughs> there I am. I mean, how can you not love a man who t whose response to reaching his 90s is, I'm going to start recording heavy metal albums now. Well, I think he started before that, but still. Yeah, Christopher Lee is the, like, I always hear about, like, this person lived, this person lived a life, and then I look at their life, and I'm like, yeah, but nah, nah, I'm good. Christopher Lee, while I was reading up on him, is one of the few guys where I was like, this guy has lived. What the <laughs> fuck have I myself? <laughs> and not only that but i can't find anyone who has anything bad to say about him mm. to be fair in none of the interviews or anything i read i couldn't find anything like no one had said a bad word as far as i could tell well that's what i'm saying it's like from what i could tell he was just a genuinely good person like he treated he was nice to everyone he was a gentleman's gentleman he treated everybody with respect regardless of who they were where they came from it's like i, I imagine he's one of those people and there's only like maybe three total in my life i ever said this about anybody if you have a problem with them you're the problem <laughs> what the hell it was all that background noise all of a sudden I do not know. <laughs> I, think I don't David's hear having it. computer issues. Uh, David, are you there? The same thing happened yeah. before. Yeah. <laughs> huh. He just sent a new connection. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. Uh, uh, Phil Anchors on the verge of That's what uh, happens. We can't handle all the bandwidth. Evidently. All right. So, Evan, you left off that moderately proficient in Swedish, Russian, and then it cut out. Yeah. Um, I feel need, I think you need to check on your computer, dude, because the connection kept going, and uh, Gerald and I kept talking that. So I wasn't cut out. Something's going on with your computer. It's my phone. It's your phone? Yeah. Well, then stop using those old school Matrix phones, dude. I'm surprised it connects to the internet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> I need a I need a headset that I can use on my computer 
and then I could try doing it that way because I know it works. It worked for Nick, and I think that's how you – no, know, you do it on your phone too, right, Gerald? I do. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, so continue. Uh, so do we did continue. <laughs> Was it not constantly recording? Because it stayed connected. Uh, I got a disconnection error, so I cut it out, and then I tried doing it again on my phone that I my phone phone, and it locked up. So I'm using my old phone now. So no, I didn't hear anything after the initial. I think it's. Uh, do, does it uh, the recording? Is it kept like on a on the cloud, or is it kept? Um, or is it got, or is are you putting it on a device? Yes. Yeah. Then we actually continued, and you would ha- wait. Which one? Both, I think. <laughs> yeah. Then it's then chances are everything we said was uh, is should be available to you on the cloud. Well, all right. Then continue from where y'all left off, and I wasn't there. <clears throat> all right. Oh, uh, I remember mentioning the heavy metal album. Yes. And we were talking about how, uh, as far as we can tell, nobody had anything bad to say about in um, Christopher Lee, uh, because apparently he was just a gentleman's gentleman and would treat you equally no matter what and nicely. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> I think that's where I mean, he left off. <laughs> uh, okay. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else to say. Uh oh! I mean, we hit we hit all the. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fortunately, I didn't know the man personally, so. uh, (laughs) Ah, well, if we could have only have been so lucky. Hmm. Right. (laughs) So, do we want to talk about crazy assassination attempts then, or do we want to call it for the day? What crazy assassination attempts? The ones that that uh, Ian Fleming planned. Or ones that we just imagine maybe Christopher Lee tried to do. Well, Gerald had mentioned the Nazi plan to try to kill Churchill with an exploding chocolate bar. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Honestly, I would love to just do an entire episode just about all of like the mystical artifacts the Nazis tried to get their hands on in World War II. That well, is the most historically that. yeah, that is the most historically accurate part of the of the uh, Indiana Jones trilogy. The Ark of the Covenant? Well, fuck it. We can do that for the next no, that, one, then. Yeah, that the Nazis were actively... They were trying to find, like, the Ark of the Covenant and the Spear of Destiny. There was a huge... Like, they literally spent millions of dollars on a campaign to find all these mystical artifacts all across Europe. Well, that was the hit, that was the Thule Society's influence on Hitler, though, right? Uh, he was just a man-child who believed in these things. <laughs> Well, what I, mean, I like, though, is because uh, because he was doing that, and because he was too big a threat, the Allies uh, could not risk the chance that he might actually have been right about their powers. So that means that there was an equally large counter effort to keep him from getting those items. Hmm. <laughs> right. Definitely don't need a crazy man child having them damn things. This is why I got so mad when uh, I got out of school and really started learning history. 
because I'm like, why didn't we learn these things? This stuff is interesting and important. <laughs> right. <clears throat> it is unfortunate. Yes. But uh, honestly, all I can say about Ian Fleming is he was a cad, but what a cad. And all I can say about Christopher Lee is if Awesome was a man, it was Christopher Lee. <laughs> and when, when Chuck Norris goes to bed, he looks under his bed for Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. No, when Chuck Norris goes to bed, he turns on a nightlight that's the life-size image of Christopher Lee because he knows that'll protect him from everything. <laughs> I don't even think he died. I don't think Christopher Lee died. I think Christopher Lee just went to another plane to make absolutely sure Cthulhu and his brethren don't exist and to tell the idiot God, you better keep your ass asleep. <laughs> just like how oh, I don't believe David Bowie died he just went home <laughs> I don't even know I what mean, the hell happened to Prince I can't even argue those things I think Prince did die but only because he was curious and wanted to know what it was like <laughs> yeah, I can see Prince doing that <laughs> like oh. I, I this is not a joke. I am dead serious. When some when I found out he died, someone told me. And literally one hundred percent serious, my immediate honest response to that was he can do that? <laughs> Cause I honestly thought he didn't know how. <laughs> in my defense, Prince never aged ever in his entire life like we're talking about james marsden for that 20 years that he, he's got like he's got nothing on prince in the no aging category hmm. that man looked exactly the same on the day he died as he did on his very first album cover yeah like yeah hmm. there there's been a lot of speculation i don't think he died i think he just lost that sword fight and someone got his quickening Mm, that's what it was. And that someone was the great immortal Janelle Monet. <laughs> Which actually explains a lot about Janelle Monet. <laughs> I am not familiar. Uh she was in um Hidden Figures. Uh she's uh she's on some TV show right now. She's in the Antebellum movie that's supposed to be coming out at some point. Uh, the new horror movie that uh, was produced by Jordan Peele. And she's mainly known for her music. Uh, her biggest single is, uh, um, I think it's called Make Me Feel. And it's the most Prince thing to ever come out since Prince died. Hmm. <clears throat> and in true Prince fashion, it's radio friendly and dirty as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm sure we we all know that when when the final apocalypse destroys us all, we're gonna see uh, Keith Richards walking through the wasteland, and Betty White's gonna show up and be, and she's gonna be like, "You know, this was coming, Keith." <laughs> I just hope the apocalypse is Valhalla, because one, I like an apocalypse where I get to die fighting, even if I'm gonna lose, and two. A big part of uh, not Valhalla, um, Ragnarok. Ragnarok, and two, yes. uh, yeah, uh, two. A big part of Ragnarok is that the entire armies of the dead will come out to fight, which means we will get to see Christopher Lee ride into battle one more time. <laughs> 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 hmm. And when 
<laughs> and when it, when when some evil asshole comes up to him and says, "I want you to know what it's gonna feel like to be," I want you to know, I want you to know what it's like to have you know to be you know to know that you will die with a stabbing. He'll just look at him and say, "I don't need to know. I remember," and then kill him dead. Hmm. And so will it be like will it just be the expendables with like Christopher Lee and Mr. Rogers and oh, like all of the prolific figures? <laughs> you know what I want to see? And I want this to be done as a B in like a, one of those on purpose style B movies like Iron Sky. I want to see like an expendables, except it's all the badass presidents. <laughs> like <laughs> Like Washington, Abraham Lincoln, which I don't think most people realize Abraham Lincoln was probably one of the last presidents you ever wanted to get into a fist fight with. Like fucking Teddy Roosevelt and his rifle. <laughs> and I mean even... I mean, he was running around killing vampires, so yeah, I, I, I'd assume. <laughs> I mean, I would think it was a given that you don't get into a fist fight with a man who's murdering vampires. I also, <laughs> sticking to this historical idea, I also wouldn't mind an expendable uh, style movie. It could be a B movie or it could be for kids, but just about all the awesome animals throughout history. I mean, for God's sakes, Russia had a general that was a bear that loaded artillery. <laughs> <laughs> Because of course Russia did. <laughs> because why not? In and Soviet anybody Russia, we have bear loading artillery. And anybody who thinks that's just cute and not badass has clearly never been face to face with a bear. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like you, it, it says something about Russia that there was a bear in existence that just went. Yeah, I'm not gonna fuck with these guys. The fact I think I'm gonna I'm gonna join them because I don't think I can beat them. Because even hmm. bears understand one important fact of history. You do not invade Russia in the winter. Well, it's a shame Hitler didn't understand that. Well, not a shame. Actually, <laughs> he did. You know really? about that, right? Yes. The problem was Hitler had a particularly enthusiastic general in his army. Hmm. Who decided on his own to do some really stupid shit and but including invading Russia in the winter, long before Hitler wanted to do it, because he knew you don't invade Russia in the winter. But the guy was so far along that there was no way to call him back, and so he had to back him so he didn't lose face. Hmm. So, when you get right down to it, because I think it's pretty much universally agree that was the turning point in World War II that led to the Axis powers' defeat. Mm-hmm. The world was saved by managerial incompetence. Hmm. Isn't that also was what it? condemns it? Yeah. Was it, was it Rommel <laughs> that did that? I'm trying to remember. Was it World War One or World War Two that was started because of a sandwich? Boy, the it was universe loves this ironies. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I learned a lot about World War II from that great documentary, Inglorious Bastards. Hmm. <laughs> I still say to this day, it is simultaneously the least accurate and most accurate World War II movie ever made. 
Hmm. Every man in, under my command owes me a debit. What? <laughs> Nazi scouts. <laughs> Gentlemen, I want my scouts. Say Adidas then to your Nazi balls. <laughs> ah, Melly and Laurent, you are a wonderful, wonderful French woman, and there is very few things in all of cinema as sexy as your giant laughing face as the theater full of Nazis is on fire. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so do we want to wrap this up then? Uh, I think it's good to go. I think we get. I think we wet a lot of whistles. Hmm. Waved a lot of flags, ringed a lot of bells. Russell yeah, this is British flags, man. Yeesh! How is this? How we're celebrating post Fourth of July? It's talking about how awesome British people were. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair. Awesome is awesome, no matter what country you're from. True. I agree with that 100%. And I feel the life lesson everybody should learn from this is that just because your country asks you to sleep with the hot woman doesn't necessarily mean it's a dream job. (laughs) (laughs) Every man wants to fuck all the time until he runs into a woman who wants to fuck all the time. (laughs) (laughs) In Roll Doll's defense, from what I gather, man, I'm not sure if he wanted to fuck to begin with. But damn it, <laughs> the things that man had to do for his country. Hmm. And probably more holes than he ever thought. <laughs> so that, that reminds me of a meme. It was uh, It's an infomaniac meme. So the chick is like, she's getting dressed for work, looking back at her boyfriend like, I bet you I could take that dick one more time and then the dude's got a thought bubble like, please, just I'm I'm pretending I'm dead. Maybe (laughs) 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 No, I am not a human. I am a meat popsicle. (laughs) Name that movie. I feel like I wonder if like, you know, because people always make their own communities. And it's the common cliche is husbands never get laid from their wives. And I know that there are husbands that get together because their husbands. I always wonder if there's that one husband in the group where after everybody's like, I never, ever get laid. My wife is never in the mood. There's that one that's always getting laid. Be like, you don't know how lucky you are. (laughs) (laughs) I want your marriage. (laughs) She just never stops. It never stops. It's like I, I'm dehydrated all the time. I'm always tired and aching. I don't, I don't work. I just I, <laughs> I don't come in my wife. My dick just weeps. <laughs> <laughs> we cry together. Right, like like the the dude who doesn't get sexy is all like fat and it's like complaining. The dude with the nympho wife is like a, a skeleton because she's taken all of his essence. well you have to deny them your precious bodily fluids (laughs) yes yes dr strangelove or why i learned to stop fearing and love the bomb which is another funny thing i think we should point out you find you ever notice that these uh nymphomaniac wives are never married to guys who look like chris evans hmm they'll be married to someone who looks like jack black 
<laughs> or Patton Oswalt, but it will, it's never like a Chris Evans or like Hugh jacked up man type person. Hmm. Well, it's all about that ween, I guess. I think it's all about having that extra fat you can burn. That's more energy you can put into the push. (laughs) (laughs) Like constant. It's like, dude, you're constantly eating. You're going to give yourself a heart. It's like, dude, you don't understand. All of this will be gone when I go home. (laughs) I I think the best looking dude I know for a fact is in that kind of marriage is Ed Helms from The Office. Uh, he's married to Olivia Wilde. Oh God! Uh, and apparently, according to him, uh, she lives up to her last name. <laughs> like, she is insatiable, and uh, I swear to God, even though he was never fat, the dude is thinner now than was is thinner after he got married to her than he was when he got married to her. Um, shit, he's the guy who was also in The Hangover. That's Ed Helms, the one with the missing tooth. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I got you. And even then, that kind of goes right back to what I was saying earlier about how they're never like with a Chris Evans looking guy because Ed Helms is the most like normal looking human being ever. (laughs) The only thing that stands out about him is I think he's like over six feet tall and that's about it. Hmm. I don't know. When you said Olivia Wilde, I just, I was like, I knew it. I knew that bitch loved the dick. <laughs> oh God! Don't let her hear you say that. She might beat you up, and I think she can do it. <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's. I just remember finding that out. I'm like, man, you're one lucky dude. I think they have like two kids now. Hmm. Only two, right? <laughs> uh, look, he's got to rest to make a movie sometime. I mean, let's be honest, I think also a big part of that is she's clearly a bit of a workaholic because it's after she had those kids, we stopped seeing her in so many movies and TV shows, but she was working all the fucking time. So I wouldn't be surprised if for the early parts of that marriage, it was a case of I'm home, I'm not working, pants off now. <laughs> to the point where his, what, like, he doesn't just get erections, his dick is scared stiff. <laughs> In his defense, if a demanding Olivia Wilde came home to me, my dick would be scared stiff too. Mm, like it will t- salute and it will not stop saluting until the commander says done. <laughs> I, can, I can just imagine he's like sitting there on his on his MacBook. All of a sudden, the door slams open. Now, oh god, what? <laughs> I just I just get that image of that one episode of Family Guy. <laughs> Last night, Brian, Lois was the man. <laughs> and then oh, comes up, he's like, You tottering thumb suck dewberry. I must find something to strike you with. <laughs> oh, this this is our our cap off has gone into some very strange directions. <laughs> yeah. You know, it happens. Mm-hmm. It so keeps the world turning. Right. So, final thoughts before we close this out. Uh, Christopher Lee was a badass. Uh, Interstate 60, like it or like it or hate it, 
it's going to be complete perspective. Um, <clears throat> objectively, bad movie, but and Ian Fleming was a yeah, I, I'd say he was a demigod in his own right. The man was a cad, but what a cad! Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no! Ian Fleming is the best friend you have that always gets you in trouble, but never seems to be in trouble himself. Well, until right? he, he was. He's always <laughs> yeah, banging. Right? He's always banging. He's always banging the hot chick. He's always trying to get you out to go out to the bars and drink for hours on end before you got to go to work in the morning. And then mm. he, he he never seems to have a job, but he always has money. <laughs> like... Not too far <laughs> off, yeah. <clears throat> and literally makes something as complicated as, say, writing a series of novels look easy. Yeah, and he <laughs> always does some ridiculous shit and pulls it off. And you're like, what the fuck? Dude? He's the he, he's the reason you have a uh, he's the reason you have a criminal record, and he's also the reason why it's one of your crowning achievements. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yeah, you went to prison for two months, but you bang Princess Samoya. Like, I mean, come on, dude. It's, like, it was worth it, right? And you're just like... You're, you're like, you have a no, fist, no. and you're like, yeah. No, it's like, he's the guy where it's like, if you go back in time, I could see this actually being the conversation. Well, yes, my good chap, you did get rightfully beaten within an inch of your life by the Secret Service. You will never be allowed in America again, and you have a criminal record that will always be shunned upon you. But wasn't it worth it to be Jackie Kennedy's revenge fuck? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, and you want to punch him. You want to punch him so bad, but you're just like, but instead, fuck, you're right. <laughs> you clink your glasses. You drink that right. martini. <laughs> and you know oh, when he calls I... you saying, "I got a job," you'll be the guy going, "You son of a bitch, I'm in." <laughs> Actually, that brings up a point that I realized when I was reading on when I was reading up on Ian Fleming and his and the way he describes James Bond and the character himself. I was like, James Bond and Constantine have a lot in common, actually. Well, yeah, just one's in the gutter while the other one's hanging out in the best restaurants and hotels. <laughs> <laughs> well, personality-wise, I mean, like, James Bond is like the upper-class, it's almost like the upper-class Constantine. Like, what if Constantine was rich, could basically do what he wanted and get away with it? He'd basically be James Bond. <laughs> um, actually, um, he would be the same. <laughs> Constantine never had money problems. Hmm. He always <laughs> seems like he does. Oh, that he always has the money he needs at the time he needs it. Never before, oh. never after. He's like a he's like a financial superman. Oh no, he was actually like <laughs> literally like he was at one point like destitute, homeless, constantly getting drunk, and when he basically got out of his funk, his response was to immediately just smirk at a guy who immediately felt the need to just hand him over a fuck ton of cash and a credit card. <laughs> uh, well, and he just like literally yeah. went to a hotel, got a shave, put his got some decent clothes and put them on and went back to his life. So 
he's he's not technically rich, but he will never really be poor. <laughs> gotcha. Situational wealth. I would say gotcha. the big difference between John Constantine and James Bond is that James Bond loses his friends more reluctantly than Constantine does. James Bond would sacrifice himself for his friends. Constantine says, here you go, to the devil in front of him. Mm. <laughs> but those two meeting would be interesting because there's no way they'd like each other. <laughs> and it's because of all the ways they're alike, funny enough. Well, well that's know, usually that, the way it goes. The more that, alike you are, the worse your relationship tends to be. Yeah. Well, but, it makes the most sense story-wise anyways. Yeah. <clears throat> but I would say my final thought on this is if you ever get the chance, people, look up World War II era of Britain. You have no idea how interesting that is and how many people from that time you already know. Hmm. Including but not limited to the wife of Stan Lee. Oh. Yeah, she was doing some intelligence work in uh, World War II in England at the time. Interesting. Also, uh, Gerald might not know this. You might, Evan. Uh, Queen Elizabeth was a, uh, I think, a hospital jeep driver during World War II. Oh, yeah. Queen Elizabeth is a pure fucking badass herself. There's no denying that. <laughs> Indeed. Sadly, she, the queen. Yeah. Sadly, she may be the last of the great monarchs. We shall see, or at least modern day. No offense to the princes, but they have not lived up to the standards set by the matriarchs of their past. <laughs> mm. In their defense, neither has the majority of humanity, let alone those in similar political or societal standards. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that That's God tier right there we're talking about. <laughs> mm. uh, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Which one's married to Meghan Markle again? Harry? Harry. Yeah. And he... I don't blame them for feeling the need to cut ties from the family, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I guess it's matters of perspective, I would say. Uh, just in the sense that, like, I'd imagine you probably want some of your life to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Possibly. Anyways, so good final thoughts. I will say, uh, just like Gerald said, Interstate 60, it's either you love it or you don't. It's still worth a watch. I Give say it a watch. Good entertainment, but bad substance. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Ian Fleming, the great, the uh, bastard who could write a book in 30 days. Every year, I hate him for that. <laughs> he was a reporter before he was a novelist. Mm. Mm -hmm. Christ Christopher Lee. I mean, what else can you say? Dude was a fucking badass. What can we say about Christopher Lee that hasn't already been said about God? He actually exists. Ooh. Shots fired. <laughs> so we hope you enjoy the last episode of this podcast uh, it's amazing the freak uh, the freak lightning accident that happened to David our host <laughs> well to be fair the entire foundation of faith is that there is no evidence something exists 
you just believe it does. So by I that, think Christopher Lee is yeah. the most proof of the God's existence we've seen so far. <laughs> eh, I don't think you give nature enough credit. <laughs> but yeah, so... Uh, mm. Well, I have seen Margot Robbie, so you might not be wrong. Right? <laughs> when you do something right, no one can tell you did anything at all. <laughs> <sighs> I suddenly feel a very strong need to watch an old Pam Greer movie. I don't know why. But anyway, <laughs> exploitation. Woo! Oh, Pam freaking Greer. Whew, that woman. I wouldn't kick her out of bed. Um, no, I had imagined if she's in your bed, it'd be like being married to Olivia Wilde. <laughs> 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 Got the pizza delivery guy like, God damn, this is the third time I've been here. I need the food. <laughs> she's insatiable. Oh, God. And, and, and like you've got, it's like... Uh, it's like that episode of Futurama. You know, like next to the bed, there's skeletons of dudes whose pelvises are broken. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they've got smiles on their faces. And it's just if like, Pam Greer kills me with Snoo Snoo, I lived a good life and had an even better death. Snoo <laughs> 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 the large women, then the petite women, then the large women again. She's sexy, <laughs> she's badass, and she made Snoop Dogg blush. <laughs> what more do you need? <laughs> uh, two of them? <laughs> well, clones. Clones everywhere, as far as the eye can see. <laughs> right, so anyways, uh, we thank the audience for listening to our ramblings, and uh, hopefully you took something away from it. Um, as, as we always say, please be safe during these unprecedented times. Wash your hands, goddammit. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. Or Christopher Lee will come for you. Mm. If you must, wear a Mandalorian helmet. That way they can't say you don't have a mask on. Now, maybe Christopher Lee didn't die. He's just in an internal battle with death. Or he's fucking death. Either is possible. <laughs> no, I don't think he is. The man stayed true to his wife. <laughs> okay, that just makes me think of another meme where you know how they say when death comes for you, but you challenge death to a game, and if you win, death can't take you? Well, death, uh, a role player challenges death. And then Death's on the phone with his boss like, no, I'm still here. This guy challenged me to a game and we haven't finished yet. And then the dude's like, all right, I'm reaching for my paladin book. And Death's like, fuck, another one? <laughs> we really oh. should talk about old man Henderson. <laughs> well, um, uh, we'll have to watch. We'll have to watch it. I'm going to put it on the list and we can talk about it in the future. All right. So having said that, everyone, have a good rest of your uh, Sunday, a good week, hopefully coming up, and we will talk to you again next week on our usual time. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Everybody take care. <laughs>